Hey, what's going on everyone? It's Keenan over at Lateral Limits, your friendly neighborhood, SOT. This will be our fifth episode of the podcast entitled Cheap Therapy. So today I have a very special guest with me, uh, Jerry Gonzalez, who owns Wolfpack MMA. Uh, so I've been training there for about eight months now. Had an absolute great time. It's a really cool place and I thoroughly enjoy spending time with men in that atmosphere which is why I asked Jerry to join us today. So the first thing we're going to talk about with Jerry is going to be that sort of entrepreneurial journey from where he started to where he is currently, you know, and his expansion and all all the other things that's going on in his business. And I'm not going to take too much away from him, but we're going to start talking about that and then gently move into sort of, you know, combative arts, violence and things like that. So uh, without further ado, Jerry. How you doing, everyone? My name is Jerry Gonzalez. Uh, I am the co-owner of Wolfpack MMA in Forney, Texas. So explain explain sort of how that started. Like, when did you start training in jiu-jitsu? How long have you been doing that? And- well, I started martial arts as a kid. Uh, I, back when I was growing up, we only had karate or taekwondo. Uh, I took Taekwondo for a long time. Um, I wrestled in high school and when I, um, when I got out of the military, uh, I got, became a police officer and, uh, felt the need to further my training besides fire. And, uh, I got back into martial arts. I got back into Taekwondo and then a buddy of mine, <clears throat> he recommended, uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, which I had seen the first UFC back in 93. And I said, well, I don't really know about that. And then he invited me over to his house and we started training and basically just ran from it from there, just became my more of my passion than, than Taekwondo and everything else. Although I did like Taekwondo, Jiu-Jitsu seemed to be more of my, um, my skill set. So can you kind of explain the difference between the different combative arts? Sure. So Taekwondo is a stand-up, stand-up martial art, mostly known for its uh, kicks. Uh, karate is, uh, even though I didn't do karate, has more striking with the hands, but uh, also involves kicking, whereas Jiu-Jitsu is more of a grappling-based martial art. And again, since I wrestled in high school and I had friends that wrestled in college and everything, uh, it seemed to be uh, more of what I enjoyed, you know, besides getting punched and kicked in the face. Yeah, it's not always fun, especially when I... Uh... You know, when I'll roll with Roy or something, mm-hmm. he'll like to act like he's hitting me, but right. like in a sissy manner. And it's almost like really like degrading. It's really funny. <laughs> that's, that's Roy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Great time. So actually uh fun fact too, uh, Roy said he's going to come on too. So oh, good. That should be yeah. fun. Right. That should be fun. Yeah. That's, uh, that's definitely going to be an interesting, absolutely an interesting episode for sure. So, uh, you kind of briefly talked about, uh, what sort of led you to pursue that career in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. But like, what was it? So you, you were in the military, you lived in Chicago for how long? Well, actually I lived in East Chicago, Indiana, which is considered a suburb of Chicago, Illinois. Right. Um, kind of like where I'm at in Forney to Dallas, right? Right. Uh, it'd take me 10, 15 minutes to get down, down to Chicago. Um, I got home from the military. Like I said, um, uh, was kind of debating what I was going to do. I, I went to, I was going to college for a little while. Wasn't my thing. And, uh, a buddy of mine asked me, hey, let's go test for the police department. I said, okay. Kind of like, again, not sure where I was going with my life after the military and uh, got on the sheriff's department and uh, <clears throat> soon figured out that just being proficient in a firearm is not always going to be 
the best option, especially when we're like, like you and I are right now, we're within hands distance of each other. And um, having been in a lot of physical altercations, having been in shootouts, um, I just felt like there was something else I needed to, to kind of help me. And uh, again, so some friends of mine from the department started training Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. They invited me over. I immediately took to it and made that my, like, kind of like to this point now, like my lifelong passion. Right. So you lived, you lived there for how long? In East Chicago? Yeah. Well, I was born and raised in East Chicago. I lived there until like uh, my early to mid 20s. And mm-hmm. then I grew up. I simplify thing for a bit. And, yeah, 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 exactly. I came home. We moved back in with my folks. They were still living in Chicago. And then I got on the sheriff's department. I lived in Maryville, Indiana, Hobart, Indiana. But we were we were always considered a suburb of Chicago. And how long were, did you work for the sheriff's department? I did 20 years. Okay. I retired uh, in 2014. So, and then after that is when you moved? Yeah. Down? So, uh, yeah. So what, what was the reason for moving from Indiana to that? To Texas. Yeah. Uh, well, I... Um, my wife and I had always talked about, we hated the winters. Makes sense. Yeah. The winters up north are brutal. And um, the plan was to do my 20 and retire. And then uh, right about my 19th year, we started looking at different locations. Uh, we looked at Arizona, Florida, New Mexico, and Texas because I had family here in Texas. So um, I came down here for a wedding. Really, really liked it mentioned to my wife she ended up getting a job down here and moving here before i moved here she moved here with the kids and i was still back home in indiana because i hadn't retired yet okay and so when you moved down how long after you moved down uh well like what was the job prospect for you like what did you want to do because obviously you you drew a retirement yes the sheriff's department you moved down i guess you didn't necessarily need a job because you were drawing retirement what was the what was the plan for you as far as employment well, honestly, I had always talked about opening up my own gym. Mm-hmm. And so when we moved down here, my wife was working. I was staying at home, driving my wife crazy because uh, I was she was not used to me being home all right. the time. And uh, ended up getting a job. Uh, well, I, let me digress a little bit. I, I started training at Wolfpack MMA, Rockwall, where I met my uh, business partner, Quaint. At the time, he was looking for a new uh, jiu-jitsu coach because uh, the current professor there was getting ready to start his own business uh, outside of jiu-jitsu and he was going to move so i was a brown belt at the time i started training over there and um, so i was kind of like doing that and then again i was home all the time so my wife's like all right you're still driving me nuts uh, my cousin who works at bluebell got me a job there so i would work at bluebell in the mornings and then- good old bluebell <laughs> I'd work Bluebell in the morning and then I'd go teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the evening. And then I'm sure you remember when Bluebell had the massive recall. Right. Uh, Several times with Cookie Dough. Cookie Dough. My personal favorite. And um, being that I was the new guy there, I was let go uh, because uh, they they were going through some stuff. And so I had, like first in or was it first in, first out or last in? Last in. Yeah. yeah first yeah, out type deal. Like yeah. And, um, so I wasn't quite sure what I, you know, where I was going to, what I was going to do employment wise. I really didn't need the job, but I kind of liked it cause it got me out of the house and kept me busy. Right. So I, um, I contemplating opening up a gym and I approached Quaint about it, but at the time it wasn't, it wasn't the right time. 
And then, so I did some odd end jobs here and there. I still trained jujitsu and then got hired back on Bluebell. They called me back after everything was done with the recall, the first recall. And then, uh, there's been several. Yeah. And, uh, probably maybe like another year after that, Wayne had approached me and asked me about, Hey, are you still interested in becoming business partners? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And so we started looking for locations and, uh, from, you know, we found our spot in Forney, uh, got a really good deal on rent and we went ahead and signed a, a lease and it's been five years now going on six. Are there other jujitsu gyms in Forney? There is a like guy. What made you choose Forney specifically? Well, I saw the growth that Forney was going through in right. the time that I was there. Which and I think, you know, like I, I really think that's a, like a hidden, a hidden sort of thing that people don't look for. So like when it goes into opening a business, people want to be in like the most concentrated areas. And I think you need to think about like longevity right. more over just like that immediate success. Right. So if you're there, like, for example, like Little Elm, mm -hmm. right, is a, a, a town that I keep mentioning. And it's something that I'm really looking into uh, because it's sort of, I mean, I think it's like surpassed for me in like mm -hmm. its current state now, but right. it's like, it's got potential to be like huge compared to you know what it is now right and so i think that's something that a lot of business owners especially if you're starting like starting a new business mm -hmm. like completely from the ground up that's something that a lot of people don't look into which i'm glad you brought that up yeah no absolutely um well it was funny because when we initially started talking about a location i mentioned forney and he was a little bit hesitant on forney he's like man i really didn't think it's because of the traffic <laughs> yeah well it's gotten worse obviously uh, he was actually looking more towards um, Wiley, and there's another location out that way. And I said, Quaint, that's that's far from me, right? Um, I, I really do see some potential here in Forney. I think we ought to, you know, we ought to try. So then we really started focusing our attention on locations. And that's, again, that's when we found the warehouse district that we're in. And uh, so as, as far as zoning goes for like a gym, what does it have to be zoned for? Like well because can it be pretty much anything i suppose well because we're on un unincorporated we don't fall under all the restrictions that you would fall under like being in in town right right so the only thing well, like most warehouse districts from my understanding are in areas like that right yeah and uh so really the only hurdle we had to deal with uh permit wise was the fire marshal and that was it we didn't have to pay for city permits or, or any i mean obviously um the building owner wanted us to make sure we had insurance, right? Because we are using his right building. So other than insurance and the fire marshal, that was it. Yeah, it's not bad. No, it was real easy. And the rent was really, so, really good. But are, uh, are there other like combative arts gyms? In yes. The that so you know? there's a couple Taekwondo schools and then there's a karate school behind Rio Lerma. It's a Mexican restaurant there. And there was a jiu-jitsu guy there. He he would rent out a spot at the karate school and train like individual classes. Yeah, he'd do like individual classes. And uh, I've heard I had never heard anything. I always heard good things about the guy. I personally never met him, mm -hmm. but everyone that I know that knows him has said, "Oh, he's a phenomenal jujitsu instructor." It's just that he's he's like he just does it part time, mm -hmm. and he's not there all the time. And so, really, as far as jujitsu is concerned. We're the only thing in town. We're we're the only thing. Does he still 
Does he still coach there? I think he does. I'm, I'm not sure. You can think about maybe bringing him to your gym. Maybe because basically if, if you bring him to your gym, you can still pay him whatever they're paying him. Right. right. But then you get his sort of customer base, I guess. You know, I never thought of that. And that's actually a really good idea. Um, maybe I'll reach out to him. And Take from that. Pete and give to Paul. You know right, what I mean? Right. Hey, but cool, cool. So awesome. So that's sort of your, your journey there. So if you had to, I guess, think of like one major hurdle and I'm no, obviously, cause how long have you been in business now? Going on six years. Six years. So I'm sure in six years you've had a lot of sort of uh, hurdles that you had to go through. You know? No, absolutely. I mean, the biggest thing was I invested a portion of my pension into this business. Right. And, you know, there's build out. Like when, like the way you see it was not how it was, right? Right. Obviously, it yeah. was an empty warehouse. And I credit Quaint uh, for that because while I was working at Bluebell, he was there busting his butt doing all the, the build out, the benches and the upstairs and the locker room. So did you get like tenant improvement money when you signed the lease yes. or was it like, Hey, this is how you get. Well, basically what we had to do is we had to make the improvements. Mm -hmm. And then once we showed the improvements, then they would, they credited, they credited to us. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. That's actually really good. So like for me, one thing that I really struggle with and the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm not staying in Garland, why I want to move, uh, cause I wanted to expand where we currently are. And I asked for, uh, $25,000 in tenant improvement money, which I offered $3,500 a month for the first year, thirty-seven fifty for the second, and then 4,000 for the following four. Mm -hmm. So I offered a six year lease, but I wanted $25,000 of tenant improvement money. And my landlord was like, no, you got to take a lease as is, which obviously I wasn't interested in. So that's really good that like, if you would have offered me something like that, mm -hmm. like I was fine with paying the $25,000 up front right. if you credited me you know, right. for the rent. Well, because when you, if you leave that location, that's all going to stay there. Right. Exactly. And they're going to benefit from it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Kind of like when we had to put, you know, the AC units. Right. Which I'm sure cost. Yeah, that was no. Because you have what? Uh, how many square foot? We have uh, 500? Uh, 500 square foot. No, 5,000 square, 5, square foot. And you have what, one unit? We have two units. Two units. And that we actually need a third. Five ton? Yeah. Five ton units? Yeah, because I mean, I, actually I was talking to my buddy Kelly uh, who helps us out of the shop. Actually, he's there today taking some pictures of some Cerakote work that I did and everything. He helps me with like photography and stuff like that. He, uh, well, he does AC work. Like that's what he does for a living. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was talking to him about it because, uh, under my lease, I'm responsible for the HVAC. So if my five ton unit goes out, I have to replace it. And he mm -hmm. said the current cost right now of five ton unit is about 25 grand. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not cheap. Yeah, uh, which is we extremely were, high, I think. But. We were fortunate because at the time, uh, one of Quaint's good friends owned a H, HVAC, you know, he, a air conditioning. <sighs> yeah, yeah. So he took care of us. I mean, but it still was no cheap endeavor. And, you know, those things go down, especially oh, trying yeah. to heat that warehouse. Right. And I think, uh, I think once, it, once you kick it on, it doesn't shut off. Yeah. And, it's, and that's the thing, you know. Your electric bill goes from, you know, yeah, because that first summer, eighty dollars to eight hundred dollars. Yeah, because that first summer we didn't have AC AC units. Right. So imagine training in the middle of summer, at, in there. So how many complaints did you get? Oh, how big, many heat cases did you? Get? <laughs> we didn't get any heat cases, but we would get people like, oh my god, it's so hot, and the mats would be like a pool so of water. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like instead of like sweeping it off and like spraying it, you have to like squeegee it off. Yeah, it was it was it was wild. God, that but that smelled right. <laughs> yeah, we did a good job keeping the place clean. So. Yeah, yeah. So, but what was it like? 
for example, there's, there's a lot of small businesses that struggle with certain like financial decisions. Like, man, this is something that we really need to do. Like, for example, uh, when I needed to buy that fingerprinting processing machine, mm -hmm. right? That was $7,200 investment that I, I didn't necessarily need, but I knew I needed it if I wanted to take that next step and sure. get into the NFA game, which the, the suppressors changed us like 100%. Yeah, your last was it your last podcast or the one before you talked about with yeah, your wife? Uh, yeah, the, so that was episode three, uh, yes. where I really talked about. I mean, that was that was one of the like major deciding factors in our business was me deciding like, okay, we've been around long enough, we need to do it. Yeah, and uh, but I was obviously nervous to make a you know a seventy two hundred dollar charge on my credit card, right. you know. Uh, without knowing if that money would pay itself back. And I think a lot of small business owners struggle with certain financial decisions that Absolutely. they know they kind of need to do. It's right. just when you need to do it and you right. don't want to do it too late, right? For example, like if I hadn't pulled the trigger on that fingerprinting processing machine, which at the time that I did it, fun fact, um, the whole e-forms, the electronic thing, no one really knew about it yet. Mm -hmm. But I got my fingerprinting processing machine, I want to say in July mm -hmm. of last year. And uh, eForms launched in November. So at the time that I launched, but we kind of knew, started to know about it around October, mm. right? So I got my fingerprinting processing machine before the massive influx because these old, good old boys who would just do everything paper and the ink blot method for your fingerprints. Uh, now all of a sudden everyone wants an electronic fingerprinting machine right. because we can electronically file fingerprints now. So there was a massive influx in purchasing these sort of devices. For sure. And so if I would have stalled a little bit longer, that could have really crippled my uh, sort of suppressive business moving forward. So the timing was perfect for mm -hmm. me. And I think as a business, that's like, you'll have to make that purchase eventually. Absolutely. But it's timing of that purchase that I think a lot of small businesses struggle with. So what was it for you that, like, what was it at the one year mark that you were like, okay, I guess now's the time we have to invest in the air conditioner? Well, uh, part of it was, I believe it's the state law that you have to have AC units. Oh, damn. Yeah, that'll <laughs> right? do it. <clears throat> which we were both, we were going to get anyways. I mean, it was never an issue. We It was always just when we had the money. I will say that for the most part, you know, when we first rented the building and we're doing renovations, um, we had like three months free rent. So, and how long was your lease? Uh, five, year, five, five year lease. Okay. Okay. So we had three months free rent, which gave us time to advertise, build and stuff like that. And I would, so Fortunately, we started getting member requests right off the bat, even though we weren't even open. So people were coming in to the Rockwell location where I was still being, I was still instructing and signing up for Forney at Rockwall and just waiting for us to open our doors. So when we first opened our doors, we had quite a few, we had a good uh, build up of clientele. And um, fortunately, we never really... Nothing other than my initial investment out of my pension, which was substantial, 
nothing else ever came out of pocket. The gym has always pretty much funded itself. And so and that's such a blessing. It, it was a, that's such a blessing. I will tell you this. I had some sleepless nights when I signed that, when I signed, when we signed that lease. Oh yeah, absolutely, dude. That was probably the most nerve wracking, like Man. five, six, seven, eight days of my life after yeah. I signed that at least knowing like, dude, like this is it. I'm contractually bound. Absolutely. And I'm this. thinking to myself, man, if we don't get enough students, I'm, we're, I'm on the cuff for a portion of this this rent. Oh, absolutely. Right. And I'm thinking to myself. I, mean, I, I, did, I almost like in the back of my head, I almost had like a backup plan. Like, okay, like if, you know, if I work and I make like this much money, at least right. I can set aside. Maybe my landlord would be willing to do this and, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. If I break a lease and, oh, dude, it was. Well, yeah, all that insane. stuff ran through my mind as well. And again, there was some sleepless nights until we officially opened our doors. And then, um, yeah, but for the most part, the gym has funded itself. I mean, yeah, the AC units costed us a lot, but it came out of the gym account. Like I never had to come out of pocket. Now, that first, you know, that general rule of two years before you pay yourself was, was you know, pretty much. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty close. I think we were about a year and eight, nine months or something like that. And um I wasn't paying myself. We weren't paying ourselves a lot, but we were getting a little extra money in. But I mean, again, you know, I mean, yeah, you gotta, you gotta make it, you gotta make it worth, you know, at least some of your time. No, absolutely. But the thing is, we knew we had to buy AC units. We knew we had to buy mats. We had to buy uh, bag racks and bags and all those. Yeah, things. Like you were thinking more long term, right? You know, which I think is really important because a lot of small businesses don't do that. So, like me, for my first year. Which I didn't really have to wait two years mm -hmm. before I started paying myself. Um, which, I mean, I still don't really pay myself much. Like, I think actually, uh, I broke it down the other day. Uh, I pay myself a little over $6 an hour. Oh, like, geez. that's that's about what it breaks down. I think to. it probably breaks down to that. Yeah, for me too. yeah. I mean, honestly, with the amount of hours that I put it in, like right now, technically we're working, right? Right, absolutely. And I mean, I don't technically apply this to that number, which I mean, it would be substantially less. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I think a lot of people. And like, do you ever listen to like Gary Vee's podcast? No. I'm, I'm, so that's a really good one to listen to. What's his name? Uh, it's Gary Vee, Gary Vaynerchuk. He's, okay. uh, he owns like VaynerMedia and he's a really big like entrepreneurial spirit or whatever. He actually really was sort of a drive for me when I opened. And like one thing he always talks about is uh, he thinks that we're in the largest, and I don't want to, I don't want to phrase this incorrectly, uh, the largest fake cycle of entrepreneurship like we're in like the social media yeah entrepreneurship sure. right where you see people who like quote unquote and obviously the podcasters can't see me doing air quotes but uh, air quote sort of uh you know social media entrepreneurs yeah you know and so a lot of people see social media entrepreneurs like flexing and stuff and mm -hmm. things like oh my god dude like that must be the life oh yeah you know oh my god jerry it must be so nice to like make sandwich your own schedule background. yeah exactly right <laughs> meanwhile meanwhile i'm physically eating you know ramen right you know yeah. or, or i'm working 80 hours a week you know and then when i'm off i'm like scouring you know distributors websites trying to find inventory and do this and do that and try to get better credit terms and it, the work never ends no, never. as an entrepreneur. So for me to say like, oh, it's $6 an hour that I pay myself, it's probably close to like two. <laughs> yeah, you're probably you know, right. It's probably not much. Right. But I think the, the but what really helped me is that I, I like you, had a full-time job mm -hmm. for majority of my time. And it really wasn't until actually January 4th of this year that I walked away from Cedar Cove. 
And I do attribute a lot of that, my early success, to having, you know, a really flexible, like, sort of remote job, mm -hmm. which I understand that not everyone can do that. Right. You know, I, I do understand that, that what I had, I was very lucky and blessed to have. Right. But to kind of piggyback off of that uh, hilarious story, uh, we'll talk about the first time we met. I, I was wondering if that was going to come up. Which I was going to bring it up earlier, but you were you were on a roll talking about you know your business and stuff. So uh, when we first opened, I think it might have been like dude, like my first or second week open. <laughs> we were, I mean, we were super fresh. I didn't have any signage up. I didn't have anything up in the front glass. And Jerry um, pulled up his big ass bluebell truck yep. sideways, like sideways across. Like I have like. I guess like two or three parking spots in front of my shop. Dude, you like parked all up in them, right? All of them. And at first I was like super discouraged. And I still kind of get discouraged when like people park in front of me to go to like the Mexican restaurant. Right. Which I'm not that super upset about it now. Like that didn't really bother me. But uh, you parked all crosh in front of them. And uh, my brother Lane, he Allegedly was Allegedly your brother. Yeah. So it was Lane uh, who... Lane worked for me for a little bit in the beginning and then moved around a little bit, but now he's back. He's back on our team. So Lane works with me now. And, uh, he saw Jerry park all like, like took near, up the whole yeah, front the, window. The, the, the entire, like you couldn't even see. And I mean, granted, I didn't have any signage, so I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But then Lane was like, absolutely not. No way. I'm telling you something. And I'm like, Lane, it's not that serious, dude. You know, like Lane, I, like the dude's not going to come in here anyway. Like I'll probably never see that dude again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Lane was like, no, no, kidding, absolutely not. So Lane walked outside. And I'm not going to say exactly what he said because uh, I, I don't want to be like uh, have to mark the little check boxes, explicit content. <laughs> right. But, he, you know, to the avail of like, hey, shithead, you know, hey, we have a business here. We're open. And it's funny now because Lane probably walked outside, you know, with all this bravado, not knowing you, not knowing that you were a black belt in jujitsu. Right. So, uh but you were extremely polite to him. Like, oh, shit, dude, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, I felt really bad. Yeah, so, oh, shit, man, I'm so sorry. And then he moved, moved the truck, went grab you some tacos or whatever it some is. Some breakfast yeah, tacos. some yeah. breakfast burritos, yeah. Uh, which, funny, I've been, I've been trying to learn Spanish because uh, some of the cashiers don't speak English. No, they don't. Yeah, so, uh, tacos de desayuno, is that breakfast? Yeah, breakfast yeah. Tacos? Mm -hmm. So, see, I, I got that. I got that. Yeah. And it's really funny because, like, I tried to order the other day in Spanish. And uh, the lady spoke absolutely better English than I did. And she's like, sir, it's okay. And I was like, no, no, no. I need to learn this. Right, right. You know, right. I need to because most of your other cashiers don't speak English. But anyway, so uh, you went, you know, order your tacos or whatever, I guess, you know, her at a chow. And then you came next door to, like, check it out. And yeah. it was funny because at the time I probably had, like, five guns. Six yeah, guns you didn't really there. have anything in there, but I did buy something from you. What was that? I bought a coffee mug. Uh, Black Rifle coffee mug. Son of a bitch. Yeah. Because I felt so bad right. about parking in front and of the And honestly, building. that was probably our only sale of the day, honestly. But, well, but yeah, was, so. It was funny because. And who'd have thought two years later, yeah. I started a podcast and here you are. We're we're here drinking a beer and, and, and chatting. So it was funny because I had seen the place, right? But you had no signage and there, was right. a, well, there really wasn't a, a lot in there. You did have a, like a mount or two, like an animal mount. Uh, yeah, I had my own my own mouse. Yeah. yeah, so I, I I peeked in there one day when I did park in front because I had done it before, obviously, and uh, I was like, "What is this place?" I I really couldn't tell what it was, and mm -hmm. you know I'd go get my my little breakfast tacos, I'd and I'd sit in my truck and eat it. Well, then when your brother came out and yelled at me, <laughs> uh, I felt really bad. So I'm like, you know what? <coughs> 
Damn, my people. You okay there, buddy? Yeah. <coughs> okay. Yeah. All right, I'm alive. So that, I said, man, let me go in there and kind of like try to make amends. Right. And I went in there. Again, you didn't have a whole heck of a lot, but I'm like, man, you know, I'll, I'll buy something because I felt really bad. And like I said, it's been been a, a good friendship since, I would say. There you go. And, I'll, and honestly, we can probably attribute that all to Lane because I wasn't going to go outside and tell you shit. So I was like, ah, whatever. I still think it was you. Yeah. No, it, it wasn't, dude. I'm telling you, if my cameras would go back, I'd, I'd happily show you that it was definitely definitely a, a, a 6-1 version of me. Okay. Which also, that's so weird to me that I'm I'm 5'8 and Lane 6-1. Like there's a disconnect there. Pretty much every male in my family is taller than I am. <laughs> Yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah. Although I did have growth hormone deficiency growing mm. up. I took HGH for uh, 16 years. 15 oh, years. Really? Yep. From when I was like four to right before I left for boot camp. Mm. Which I thought it was a disqualifier. Like I, I thought I couldn't keep taking it. But I talked to one of my uh, corpsmen. He's like, no. He's like, as long as it's prescribed, no one gives a shit. He's like, as a matter of fact, I would try very hard to get back on it. And I tried, but no endocrinologist would prescribe a, a 22 year old growth, you know, growth hormones or whatever. But anyway, digress about that story. That was pretty interesting. That was pretty interesting. So, uh, so we kind of talked about your initial entrepreneurial journey, you know, certain challenges that you had, what you saw in the market in Forney, what drew you to Forney sort of thing. So, um, one thing that I really wanted to talk about specifically with you and Roy, mm -hmm. uh, is obviously sort of, the the path, and I'm going to try to word this properly, but uh, the sort of path to violence, right? So what what like a is warrior it? path, right? So the way of men. So I'm I'm a firm believer in it's my duty on this earth. Uh, I'm a protector of my family. Absolutely, right. So it's my responsibility as a as a as a father as a husband. Uh, it's my job on this earth to sort of give that sort of hedge of protection around my family. Absolutely. And I firmly believe that. And that's, that's always going to be the hill that I choose to die on if needed be. Right. Yes. So a lot of these people, uh, and I'm, someone's going to take this out of context. I, I, I guarantee yeah, I, I already know. So I'm, I, we live in this realm, right? So what years were you in the Marine Corps? 89 through 97. Okay. So not much was going on. The well, Operation Just Cause Panama was right, in ninety, okay. okay, and then uh, or eighty nine, end of eighty nine. But that wasn't a terribly long conflict. No, it was it was over like yeah. in a day. Yeah, like forty eight hours, I think. Right, and then then Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Okay, we were the we were the first group to go to the Middle East. But that was like mid nineties, right? That was ninety ninety one. Oh, okay, okay. Alrighty. So, uh, so like for me, for example, I live in a society and I'm, this is really going to ruffle some feathers, but <laughs> I think we live in a society where there's a lot of, uh, hammers who are running around looking for nails. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, I, I talk about this every LTC class that I teach understanding levels of violence and how we can attribute that level, like your level of violence to my level of violence. Mm -hmm. So I used to believe that, you know, we, we all walk around as zeros, right? And I, I believe it's like a 10 step process to violence. We walk around as zeros. As you raise your needed level of violence, I'll raise mine. But then I very quickly learned that I think that's the wrong way to look at it. 
So I think as a as a protector, as a man, we need to be able to switch from zero to ten like that. Because I think so if if I meet your level of violence with the same level of violence, if at any time you go higher than me, I've lost. So if you go from zero to three, and I have to go from zero to one to two to three, right? I'm already at a massive disadvantage. Absolutely. So I think if if you go to a three, I need to be able to immediately switch to a ten. Mm-hmm. And so, with that being said, uh, the whole like hammer running around looking for nails sort of thing, we have uh, we have people who generally want to walk around, and I guess they have this idea that they want to be a hero, mm-hmm. right? Which I I think that's the wrong way to look at something. You, if a conflict arises, the biggest thing that we need to understand is sort of what is going on, right? And we talk about the OODA loop theory, right? Yes. You observe, orient, decide, act, mm-hmm. which huge impact on my sort of uh, like, you know, situational awareness, right? So there, there's, there's stories that happen all the time where the good guys shot, or, or something yep. happens to yep. the, the would-be hero because the other dude who shot him had no idea. And extracting that data and understanding what level of violence is needed to stop your level of violence is something that not a lot of people want to talk about. So that's sort of what I wanted to talk about with you specifically is it, when it comes to combative arts, at what point – like because obviously uh, – you know, your whole mindset and most dudes who are like extremely proficient, you know, like your MMA fighters, mm-hmm. and most dudes who are extraordinarily proficient in combative arts are extremely humble. Absolutely. And I, I want to, I want to get your take. Like, why is that? Well, maybe it's that level of confidence that they know that whenever something arises, that they're going to be able to handle, handle themselves. Right. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, in a way, in a way it does, but in, in but also like aside from them understanding and knowing like okay, I can absolutely manhandle this dude. Right. At the drop of a hat if I need to. At what point do you need to? Right? At what point right. do I become such a threat to you that you who was obviously extremely proficient in your specific craft, at what point do you go from 0 to 10? Well, having been a police officer, right, uh, we were always taught to try to de-escalate, right? But when someone has the intentions of harming you, what's the biggest thing? You're at the disadvantage, right? Because my reaction is never going to be faster than your action. Right. You're always going to be reactive, whereas the assailant's going to be proactive. But I always tell everybody, like, I would, if I'm with my family, if I'm out and about with my family and someone approaches me, even just to ask for some spare change, I am immediately at a heightened level because I'm, I'm automatically anticipating this guy's going to attack me. Whether he does or doesn't, that's besides the point. So he comes up, hey, sir, can I have some, do you have any spare change? And if I have spare change, I, I am inclined to give them some, but I'm watching everything that they're doing. I'm watching their stance. I'm watching their hands, how they're reacting. And I've always told people, um, with the jobs I've had, right? I was in the military. Um, I was a police officer. My job would go from like a zero to 10 in a split second, right? There was, so I've told people this and not to try to sit there and say, oh, I'm this, this super bad dude, but I am capable of extreme violence extremely fast. And I will do that 
to protect my house. To protect and I think that's brain. something that's really fallen by the wayside as a society. Yes. So, like, for example, like, I was talking to Jenny about this the other night. Like, when I was growing up, it was very common. I didn't do, like, karate and all that other stuff growing up. I wasn't really – I did I did sports. Mm -hmm. You know, I was big into baseball and, and all that stuff. So, uh, I've noticed that, though, it, as I've gotten older, that sort of mentality of, like, you know, people enrolling their kids into karate and things like that have really fallen down. Like, I feel like enrollment in schools like that from a younger age has fallen down. Yeah. Um, and why, why do you think that is? Well, that's a great question. I think, and I blame a lot of that on the education system mm -hmm. because say you and I are in high school and I don't like you and I decide I'm going to bully you, right? And it goes from me just kind of picking on you, like talking smack to actually assaulting you. You're not allowed to defend yourself. Right. Because the school's policy is zero, zero tolerance. Zero tolerance right. right. So what you've done, what the schools have done is they have enabled the bullies and these kids are afraid to defend themselves. Right. And they're afraid most of the time anyway, but now they're afraid to defend themselves because what's going to happen. They're going to get in trouble at school. And I, I'll give you an example. One of my students, um, he's a good kid, really athletic. He doesn't train with us anymore, but um, he, it was like his first week of high school at North Point High. And uh, he was goofing around with some kid and then the kid hit him with a metal water bottle, you know, like a Yeti. Right. That's assault. Okay. My kid, uh, my student, took him down, pinned him to the ground mm -hmm. until someone came in and separated the situation. He was charged with the same crime as the kid that assaulted him. Did you get any backlash for that? Like, oh my God, you trained him? No, the, the, the dad was elated that he defended himself right. and that he did not car cause harm to this other kid. But he had to go to court. Dad had to take time off from work. He got put on probation. He had to do public service. That's they crazy. had to pay fines. He had a court date because he had to dispute the charge of assault for defending himself. And so a lot of these, a lot of these kids don't want to get into combat arts. I think, and that's part of the reason why. And a lot of it, how do I say this without sounding insensitive? This new generation, they're just, um, that's the word I want to say with, again, without sounding offensive. They're kind of soft. Yeah, yeah, that I mean, totally makes sense. And, uh, but like I said, I think a lot of that. But also, me, can you blame, because obviously the younger generation is not in charge of the school board. No. Right? So can you really blame how they're like, I mean, yes, I do understand what you're saying, mm -hmm. but also I feel like some of the blame has to rely on people your age, you know, some, some people who were, you know, because obviously the school board and, and people who are in charge of making rules and, you know, who are implementing these stupid zero tolerance policies and who are pressing charges. That's not the kids. No. Right. No, absolutely. So I, I think some of that does have to do with the more, the more or less the people who are in charge. And I think the whole problem with that is that, People, they all think they live in this fairy tale land, mm -hmm. right? And and we quite obviously do not. No. So the the whole premise behind combative arts, I think, is more or less teaching discipline. Yes. You know. So, and I think that's the major problem with 
that sort of mindset is that people who aren't brought up with some sort and it doesn't necessarily have to be trained in combative arts right? no. you can get you can get a level of discipline and training uh by playing baseball mm -hmm. right by playing football by playing basketball whatever it is your coach can instill some sort of discipline in you and i think that that the younger generations who are not brought up with some form of discipline in whatever competitive whatever competitive sort of field that they that they play or you know mess around with i think for the most part that the lack of discipline is the reason for you know things like that where you know if you have a problem with a kid in school instead of taking it out the old the old fashioned way you right. hit a kid over the head with a bottle right right it's like okay like there's no need to use a weapon like if, if you if you have a legitimate disagreement with this kid like take it around back and you know we'll deal with this like men right and like i mean take for example like there's so many things where it's like you know like a shooting at a gas station or something you know and and, and growing up i always thought posts like this were were sort of humorous but it's like oh uh only people who don't know how to fight will use a gun and it sort of makes sense. Yeah, it does. You know, it really does. So, like, for example, I mean, obviously, if someone has a disagreement with me, like, look, I'm a grown-ass man. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm level-headed enough, and I understand the level of violence. Mm -hmm. My level of violence has to exceed your level of violence because I'm five foot eight, 140 pounds soaking wet. Right. Right? I cannot meet your four with my five. Right. Because I'm going to lose. Mm -hmm. Right, I have to meet your four with my ten. Absolutely, because I'm at a at a disadvantage because of my size, and I understand that most people don't. But also, before I meet you at a ten, I'm going to give you a chance to recant your four. Right, like Jerry, I love you. I'm going to put four holes in your chest. Right, right, sort of sort of mindset. And people who don't understand that, like they just instead of slowly going to that ten, they immediately jump to that ten. That's, I think, a bigger problem in today's society is that people are more prone to extreme violence that they're not sort of understanding of. Well, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Uh, but I think the, the biggest thing is we live in a social media world. So everything, a lot of the, like like these kids that are going around and, and doing, you know, doing stupid stuff, they're doing it because they want to get on the Internet and become uh, internet famous. Right. They all want their 15 minutes. Yeah. They want their 15 which minutes. Which I think technically now it's five. Right. Right. And not realizing the consequences of their actions. Um, you know, you, you hit the nail right on the head when you said, you know, I have to meet your, your force or your violence with a higher level. And that's true. And that's why I said, you know, when someone approaches me, I'm already at a 10. I'm just not displaying it. Right. In my mind, I've already thought, okay, you know, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. If this is how he reacts. Like I think General Mattis, you know, Mad Dog. Yeah. Beautiful quote. Beautiful quote. He said, uh, you know, basically have a plan to kill everyone you'll ever meet. Yeah. And it makes sense. Abs it makes a, it makes total sense. You know, it doesn't matter where I'm at, what I'm doing, you know, uh, you should always have some sort of plan to kill whomever that you're talking to. Right. In that, you know, realm of self-defense. Now, I'm not saying just like murder everyone. Right. No, absolutely. But, uh, but no, I think that's extremely important and a really good take to look at is that uh, I just don't want, I don't want to be outgunned. No. No pun intended. <laughs> right. Right. No pun intended. I don't want to be outgunned. But 
the thing is, is like, there's a misconception about training with firearms and carrying a firearm that you're like the world's police force and I have to rid and the I world of all the scum, all the time. right? You know, it's you're not your, my... You're your own police. Right. Yeah. And I do, I firmly believe that I'm responsible for my own welfare and for the welfare of my family. Yes. I do believe that. I believe no one else is responsible for my personal safety other than Keenan. Right. Right. And I'm responsible for my wife and kids, but that's it. That's all who I'm responsible for. Mm -hmm. And I teach this all the time in classes. Like, listen, uh, if I have to put myself in harm's way to save you, like, why should improper planning on my part dictate some sort of emergency response, right? Uh, in you, right? If I'm at a disadvantage, if I go into to, to Walmart and I don't have my gun on me and I'm getting like beaten to death, that's... I'm not saying it's my fault that I'm getting, you know, my ass beat, mm -hmm. but it's my fault that I can't defend myself because I don't have my firearm with me. Yes. Right. So I'm responsible for my own personal safety. So if someone, if you were to be there and see me, if you have to put yourself in harm's way, and I'm talking like substantial, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm talking like a significant chance of losing your life. Who are you? Like, who am I to ask that of you? Right. You're not, you're not a police officer anymore. Right. No, it's no, not no. your duty. So. Right. Like, who am I to ask that of you? And I'm a firm believer in that I'm responsible for my own safety. No, I, I, I agree with that statement 100%. It's funny because I just saw a video. Um, this guy was, uh, you ever heard of Andrew Tate? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, who hasn't? Right. Well, um, he was talking to some guy who, again, please, no one take this the wrong way, but he, he he's basically telling him you're a toxic male, right? And he's got dyed pink hair and and he's saying that it's not okay to be a, a man, right? That, and so Andrew Tate brought up the fact, well, well, say you're being assaulted. You're going to call a toxic male to come and defend you because you're not able to defend yourself. Right. And that statement is huge. You know, you may not be able to be, you may not be the best fighter. Okay. You may not be the best this and that and the other, but you still should have some type of means to protect yourself, whether it's with your hands, whether it's with your feet, or the weather, it's with a firearm. You, you need, in my opinion, you need to be proficient in everything. And, um, you know, this whole toxic masculinity thing is it's okay until it's not okay. Cause then you're going to require a toxic police officer to come and save you. Yeah. You know? And a lot of people I'm sure will disagree with the, where we talked about, you know, extreme violence and how as a, as a man, as a leader of my family, I have to be proficient and I have to be able to at least dish out some form of extreme violence. I'm sure a lot of people disagree with that. No, but absolutely. The main, absolutely. the main thing is that the main thing is that if I'm not able, if I'm not able to meet your force with at minimum equal force, I'm going to lose, which in turn, my family will lose absolutely. Right? if I'm there with them. Right. Right. And we go into the whole aspect of like coming to the defense of someone else. You know, uh, when, you know, when I teach the LTC class and we talk about justifiable homicide in the defense of another, which is fine. And I totally get it. I understand it. But also, like, again, who are you to ask me? Right. You know, I don't know you from Adam. Right. Now, granted, if I'm if I'm like, I don't know, in, in Walmart by myself, I don't have my family, my family with me. I feel like as a man and moreover, not just a man, but like. As a Marine, that was instilled with me to come to the aid of others. Absolutely. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't. I'm just saying it has to be a calculated response in my head. Like, if I'm with my family, I have to get my wife and kids out of the building first. 
hundred percent. No, if, if you're in my way, get out of it right. or I'm going to run you over. Right. And once I get them to a, a safe haven, if I can get them to the car, I'll turn around and I'll look at the building. And if I feel like I can make, I have to calculate that decision in my head, but if I feel like I can make a difference, I'll go back into the building. Yeah, absolutely. To help. Right. Yes. Now, if I'm there by myself, that's more of a calculated risk. I can take more of a risk because I don't have, I don't have my family that I need to place into that equation. So I think when I, when I talk about, you know, situational awareness and, 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 you know, like active shooter response, things like that, where it's extremely important that if I'm somewhere with my family, I cannot be separated with my family. You know, like when we, yeah. when, 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 when you go to Walmart as a man, it's really tough to not go to the sporting goods section, right? Or, <laughs> yeah. you know, with electronics or mm -hmm. whatever it is that you're into, yeah, yeah. right? It's really tough. You know, like if, if, if you know your wife needs bread and cucumbers and, you know, whatever it is that mm -hmm. <clears throat> wives buy at Walmart, but it's really tough as a man to want or to not want to do what you want to do. Right. And it makes right. sense. I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to shop for bread and milk and eggs and whatever, but it's my responsibility to be there for my family. Mm -hmm. So if we go to a public setting like that, I stay with my wife. Now, once she's done getting all of her shit, hey, let's swing by the old sporting goods, see if they have some 30-30 right. ammo on the show. Right. For sure. Whatever it is. And that's something that I really teach heavily about is... uh you don't want to separate yourself from, I, I wouldn't call my family a liability, right? But that's basically what, you know, it is, right? right? I don't want to separate myself. I don't want to put myself more at a disadvantage because the thing that's going to happen, and especially untrained people, if I'm separated from my wife, bang, 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 shots start going off. You really untrained dudes are going to draw their gun immediately and take off sprinting throughout Walmart. Mm -hmm. And then what's that going to look like to a hammer? A nail, right? Right. right? So I think that's a common misconception that a lot of people don't realize is that in the event of some sort of situation like that, you want to make yourself more of a hard target than a soft one. Well, again, I agree with you 100%. And I think that always have a, a plan, right? And some people may think, man, this guy's like a little bit eccentric. But everywhere I go, I have a plan. I have an escape plan if I'm by myself. I have a plan for if I'm with my wife and my kids. Now, obviously, my kids are older and they're not with me as nowhere near as much. But my wife and I will get up and go somewhere. And you're right. I don't leave my wife's side. I don't leave her side at all. Right. And if, when she's done doing something, we'll go. You know, if there's something I want, we'll go check it out. But she stays with me. And um, But I always have a plan. When I walk in that door, I have a plan. I know where the exits are. I watch people. Um, give you a perfect example. Uh, Friday, when we went out of town, we went to... Uh, we stayed in San Marcos and uh, we stopped, you know, stopped at a hotel and right across the street was an Academy Sports and went to the ammo section, was looking at some ammo. And this guy, he looked a little bit odd and he's just kind of wandering around. He asked me, hey, where's the 45 ammo? I'm like, well, I think, the you know, handgun ammo is right over there. He walked past me, he had like a weird type of beret on, not like a military beret, just like a, a decorative beret. And he had a huge Bowie knife on his side. And my wife goes, is that legal? And I said, nah, I don't think it is, but you know, just keep it. You know, so the only thing about carrying a knife, uh, would be a location restricted knife, which is like greater than five and a half inches. But 
That'd be you trying to conceal it if you're under the age of 18. Yeah, this thing was this thing was pretty big. Yeah. So my wife, again, would not leave my side. And the whole entire time, if he walked around, I was still looking at the ammo, but I was positioning myself to see what he was doing the whole entire time. And if he if he reacted stupidly, right, he would have been met with the according amount of violence to get my wife out of that situation. So that's like sort of, you know, like Jeff Cooper's color codes, you know, like uh, we always talk about in my LTC classes is that, you know, like color code white is unicorns, daisies, peace, love, you know, everyone gets along. Right. And then there's yellow, which you should always be in yellow, especially if you're carrying a firearm. And yellow sort of like I'm, I'm not unprepared for a fight, which is sort of moderately where you would have been if you'd have just been walking into the academy but then when you go to color code orange it's sort of like a bolo right i there's an outlier here right. that this dude it could be a problem if he does if he does x i'm gonna do y so that'd be like the color code that you were in and then obviously color code red would be okay he's he did x mm -hmm. now it's time for me to do y right so and that's that's one thing that a lot of people don't understand is is De-escalation is really important, but I find that escalation is exponentially more important. You know, because yeah, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier, for example, if I start yelling at you, it's probably a lot easier for you to talk me off of a ledge if you're choking me out, right? <laughs> right. You know, than it would be for you to just simply try to talk to me about it. Right. Because I'll be honest, like a level a level headed man in pain is a lot easier to to deal with. You know, than then someone when the lights are going out. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh then someone who's sort of reacting emotionally. Mm -hmm. You know? And that's that's something that not a lot of people take into account. Like for example, when I was younger, my dad, one thing that he taught me was uh son, if you're ever like in an altercation with another man and they're so angry to the point where they're crying, stop, dude stop because there's no coming back from that like they're so if you're if i'm dealing with someone and they're so angry that they're physically like crying right dude that's like a different level of emotional hate mm -hmm. right you know and and to be able to combat that like that's not a 10 that's like a 12 you know and that's <laughs> right. hard to that's hard to go past you know and that's something that not a lot of people are prepared to deal with is is when someone reaches that sort of level of emotion and a lot of people don't understand that emotion and violence are tied to one another. Absolutely. They're married. Yeah. You know, so obviously some, some form of emotion goes into every violent act mm -hmm. and not a lot of people understand that. Yeah, I agree. So, um, kind of like moving forward from that. Um, all right. So moving on from that sort of section, uh, in this one, I kind of want to transition to a different question here. So as a combative arts guy, how important is it or what is the correlation between escalation and then my de-escalation of force so your escalation versus my de-escalation and what's the correlation between the two that's kind of a tricky question um how do how do, you mean how do i handle that almost like what's more important what's more important you des des you de-escalating me or you escalating above my level of violence well i i believe that if you're posing violence towards me, my level is going to have to be more important. And then once I have, we'll say, subdued you or 
have gotten you to the point where you're no longer a threat, learning how to come down from that violence, because some people can't do that, right? Their emotions get, emotions come into play. I think we mentioned that earlier, emotions, right. um, like fear, adrenaline. And I think that's why you see a lot of these uh, police officer videos where these officers, uh, uh, people think are using excessive force, right? Because they've gotten the, the, the suspect or bad guy in custody and they're still, they're still jacked. What people tend to forget is that they are still human beings and you just tried committing a violent act against them, right? So they met your violence with a higher level of violence, got you into custody, but now they have to learn how to bring it back down. So I feel that the de-escalation is the, really the more important because again, you have to, you have to uh, gather, you know, you've already dealt with the situation and if you dealt with it appropriately, you need to learn how to deescalate. Deescalate so it doesn't go past a certain point. So I guess my question would be: At what point is there like that no, that point of no return? So uh, is it is it that I go from a zero to a four? Because obviously, understanding what Jerry Gonzalez is capable of, violence wise, and not knowing me. And I think that's the thing that most people don't understand is like, if you don't know me from Adam, right? You just see five, eight, 140 pounds. Little do you know that I'm actually extraordinarily proficient with firearms, mm -hmm. right? But not knowing someone, I feel you have to, if you think I'm at a four, if you say, oh, well, Keenan's at a four, violence wise, mm -hmm. I feel if you don't know me, you need to say that I'm at an eight. Yeah. If that, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You shouldn't. Uh, so like at what point, at what point if you, you're perceived, well, I guess like my question would be like your perceived level that you think I'm at of violence wise, at what point do you go from trying to deescalate me to escalating Jerry? So I take into consideration a couple things. I watch how you approach me, how you're approaching me, the manner in which you're body language me. is so important. Absolutely. So important. so important. And in the manner in which you're approaching me. And if you're coming at me in an aggressive manner, even though you're not displaying a weapon or anything like that, if you're coming at me like, Hey, you, you SOB, you, you ding my car and, you, and you're coming at me. I'm not going to give you that chance because yeah, you're, you said five, 840 pounds. Soaking wet. So <laughs> a fury. Um, doesn't mean that you can't be a really good boxer or right. a kickboxer, right? So I don't want to give you that opportunity to to strike or do anything. So I do believe I, I uh, of closing that distance and closing it fast and 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 controlling you, right? But I watch certain things. I watch how you approach me. I watch your stance. I watch your eyes. I watch everything that you do because I could, for the most part, tell if you've had any type of training just by your body language. And I think level headedness too. Yeah. You know, so like obviously if you and I are having an argument, the more I yell and curse, it shows that, okay, this dude obviously compensates for that. Yeah. Because a lot of people think that if I yell and curse and scream and hoop and holler and dance around and move my arms a lot, I, I seem more of a threat than I really am. And to the untrained person, I think it would yes. seem that way. You know, like how, how many like little road rage videos have you seen? You know, get out the effing car. You right. know, that's up with that. Okay. Okay. Dude. Okay. Dude. Calm down. Right. You know? What are you going to do when I get out of the car? Right. Exactly. You know? So I think, I think that's sort of the, like 
body language as well as like legitimate language mm -hmm. means so much more uh, than what most people think it does. So I like to tell people I can threaten you and not make it seem like I'm threatening you at all. Right. Right. So I don't have to sit there and MF you and raise my voice and like resting bitch face goes really far. Yeah. I can, I can literally see your arms yeah. staring at people is more is seen more of a threat in most parts of the world than, than, you know, here. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. Just because you can cause a scene doesn't mean you're capable of, of taking care of business at that particular scene. Right. So, but again, like I mentioned earlier, when someone approaches me for some money, it, uh, if I'm with my wife and kids, I'm already at a 10. I just haven't displayed it yet. Yeah. Cause I'm watching you. And if I'm, you know, and I'll give you some cash and kind of watch you as you walk away. I don't turn my back to you until you're completely out of my field of view. And I think a lot of people, especially in this social media era, this technology era, look at people when they come out of the grocery store, a lot of them have their head down and they're, Oh, absolutely. And they're, and they're walking in front of traffic, almost getting hit, not even paying attention. To right. It. And so like situational awareness in that, point is so important and it's funny that you brought that up because uh i would teach that point a lot of times in like situational awareness classes mm -hmm. you know like teaching people and like staff members of like schools and stuff like that like obviously keep your head on a swivel understanding now obviously you can't be in color code orange your no. entire life no you, that's you, exhausting yeah you'll be you're paranoid you're living yeah. in paranoia yeah, you literally you're just you're parent schizophrenic right so but but understanding that i'm not unprepared Right. In the event something were to happen, because being 100% caught off guard, like if I see you coming and I see your fist is bald and I take a punch to the face, I'm still a little bit more prepared than if my face is down in my phone right. and you punch me in the face. Because right. then I'm super disoriented, at least to the point where if I was looking at you when you hit me, I knew where it was coming from. Right. I knew who hit me and I know where what I need to do or where I need to go in a fight or flight response. Yes. And it's really funny. Like when I went to college, so I was a bit of a, uh, what's the word that people would use? Uh, unconventional student. Okay. So I went to college uh, when I was 19 to 20-ish, like okay. for two years. I went to college, dropped out. I went to work in the oil field for three years. I did construction for a little bit and then decided I wanted to get a job in the air conditioning. So I went back to college. So by the time I went back... I was a sophomore borderline junior. I had like two and a half years left, mm -hmm. uh, but I was like 25 or 24. So I was a lot older a than most older. of my classmates. Yes. And obviously I've, you know, done a lot more than, you know, 18 or 19 year olds at that time. You know, I was in the Marine Corps. I was in the reserves at that time and everything. So how I acted was so different than 18 and 19 year olds. And it was funny. So if I'd be sitting there in a hallway, like waiting for class to start, that's obviously a super soft target. You have like a hundred kids in this hallway. Mm -hmm. 99 of them have their face in their phone. Absolutely. And I was the one who didn't, you know? Right. And the way I would stand, I would stand with my, you know, my, my, my face to the exit or my face to the entrance, mm -hmm. even if that was a weird way to stand. And then also like one really thing that I would love to do is like, obviously college kids, poor college kids, more or less, uh, love paying $6 for coffee. <laughs> right. So right. when I would stand in line, they had like these little coffee shops. I don't think we had a Starbucks at UL, but, uh, we had like these little like coffee shops mm -hmm. on campus. I would blade myself 
So like if everyone was like facing one direction, I would actually turn the other way and I would blade myself to the point where like my shoulder, my right shoulder would be the person in front of me and then my left shoulder would be the person behind me. And by me doing that, I gained like an extra like two or three feet mm -hmm. because I can control the distance by the person in front of me, right? right. Because that's me. Mm -hmm. But then the person behind me, I have no control over because if you want to get nut to butt with me, right. that's up to you. But if I bladed myself, I found like I made it more awkward for people. And they didn't want to get as close to me and it allowed me to control that distance, which is extremely important when dealing with sort of that situational awareness aspect of it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I do the same thing when I'm at the store and I'm in line and I keep a little bit of distance from the person in front of me. And then the minute someone gets behind me, I kind of give, I kind of look at them. Right. Acknowledging give them the stink face. Like, yeah, I see you. I see you. Yeah. And then I kind of position myself in a way that, you know, my peripheral vision can catch. I almost want to seem like unapproachable. Yeah. In, if I'm in a public place, which is weird because of me, you know, because like a lot of people know me. Yeah. Uh, or like know you when you go to public places as a business owner. A lot of people see you and like, oh, Jerry, you know, or oh, Keenan, you know, like I met you that one Tuesday in March of 2020 and they expect me to remember that, <laughs> you know, right. or whatever. Obviously, I meet a lot of people. So people tend to come and you know like obviously they recognize me or they see me or whatever they want to come talk to me uh and it puts me at a really weird disadvantage yes you know because think of it i mean if they know me and they want to cause harm to me they just have to come up to me and act like they know me from you know the shop or from whatever and it puts you at a weird disadvantage so yeah. i think the best policies just seem like super unapproachable and just have like resting bitch face oh yeah at all times yeah look like you're just pissed off at the world absolutely yeah. absolutely so excuse me um i guess like the final question that i had for you is uh you know as we kind of break the one hour mark here um which I apologize, I didn't really plan for. No, I'm, I'm, I'm having, having a great time, time. right? So yeah, we can keep going. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't threaten me with a good time, <laughs> right? Uh, my buddy Tyler has been asking me because he wants he wants me to do because his commute every day is like an hour and a half, mm -hmm. and uh, so he wants basically oh, he works what Monday through Thursday, so basically it's an hour and a half there, hour and a half back. So he wants like, like that jack of length podcast. Yeah, basically <laughs> like. Yeah, like yeah, the Joe Rogan experience. Yeah, yeah three, four hours long. Yeah, like damn. I tried. I did listen to a couple of his, and it's dude. It would take me like four days. Oh yeah, yeah. To I, listen to one of his episodes. one of his. Yeah, yeah. Jocko was the same way. Is yeah. that if that's what you're talking? Are you talking about Joe Rogan? Joe Rogan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joe Rogan. Uh, Jocko. Their podcasts are really long. Yeah. So, which it's funny because like when I first when I did my first one or whatever, it was like thirty minutes, and I thought that was too long. But I found out that like the perfect. The perfect length of a podcast is between 20 and 40. And, uh, but I found out that, well, it, it also depends on how frequently you create episodes. Well, it depends on the content. topic at hand too. Like, you know, talking about, you know, certain things. I think like this one might relate more to like the men, right? Right. And so like your buddy driving home would probably enjoy this podcast lasting an hour and some change so that way right he listens to it the whole time right yeah. yeah i think he said he listened to like the second episode like four times oh well there you go he just loves my sweet sultry voice <laughs> i don't know what it is but tyler that's for you buddy i appreciate the support my man i'm sure he'll he'll love the little shout out but but anyway i digress uh so the last question that i really want to pose to you as a combative arts guy mm -hmm. is uh do you prefer distance 
between your perceived threat or do you want do you want to close the distance and do you want do you want it to be more closer stuff? So as a gun guy, right? Obviously we've established I'm not a very large frame man. Uh I I I need the gift of gab to get me out of situations, sure. which it's fine. Like if that, that's the cards that I'm dealt with. Right. right. But obviously there's very few places that I'll go without a firearm because I understand that I can't fight my way out of most scenarios. I can either talk my way out of it or shoot my way out of it because of my stature. And that's how God designed this beautiful frame of a man. Right. So, but like for me, obviously I prefer distance and I want as much obstruction between me and my perceived threat as possible. If I can get a table between us, if I can get a bar between us, whatever, it, whatever it is, a door sure. preferably, right? But whatever I can get between us, I want as much distance as possible. So as a combative arts guy, first we'll ask the question as if you're armed with a firearm. Was- and then second, we'll ask as if you're not, do you, do you prefer distance or do you want to close that distance? Because obviously I know you. Right. I know that if I get with, within one arm's length, it'd be unfucked. But my question is like, if, if let's say you are armed and you don't know Keenan, do you want distance or do you want, do you want to be more face to face? No, I, if I'm armed, I definitely want distance. Um, and I'll use my, my experience from the sheriff's department with that, because when I taught the uh, defensive tactics program at the sheriff's department, a lot of guys and ladies did not want to do that. Oh, we're not doing that. We got guns. And it gives people that false sense of security. But the thing is, if I'm if I'm closing the distance on you, is that the right time to draw your firearm? Because if I can what if I grab it? What if I take right. it away from you? And that's where you see if you And watch. that 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 aspect is such an art, man. It's such a beautiful art mm-hmm. of drawing a firearm, especially from concealment under extreme duress. Yes. While you have someone on top of you is such a difficult task even for the most trained consummate professionals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but again, if, if I know, if I'm armed, which I tend, uh, I tend to be armed more often than not, Yeah. then yes, I'm going to want to create distance and I'm going to, you know, present when I have to, uh, if I'm not armed and I see you coming at me in an aggressive manner, I'm going to back up a little bit to try to talk you down. But at, at, at a certain point you realize there's no talking this guy down. And if you keep walking towards me, I am going to, I am going to close that distance and I'm going to engage. And I think that aspect is so important to, so like, obviously, you know, like the weapon safety rules in the Marine Corps, right? Mm -hmm. The most important one is never point a weapon that you don't intend to shoot. Absolutely. And, but that really goes into, I think more over like self-defense scenarios than it does like training. Obviously as you, okay, like, listen, I own a gun store. I get guns pointed at me. All day long, right. right? All day long, and it doesn't matter how many times I correct people, like, "Hey, please, you know, watch the muzzle." Even though I clear the gun, mm-hmm. hand them the gun, right. see they don't load the gun, I still don't feel comfortable no. with having a muzzle pointed in my face. But I understand that that's the that's part of the gig. Yeah, absolutely. It was funny because one uh, before Trevor uh, went on his journey to do something else, when he was working with you, I was in the shop one day, and I, maybe you were in the back, and he was showing a handgun to this gentleman. And he made sure it was clear, handed the gun to the guy, and the guy just kept flagging him. Oh, yeah. It's all day. And I was like, I I personally wanted to grab that guy by the throat and say, stop doing that. Right. And Trevor was just kind of like, just Like, normally I'll let it slide like once, and if it does it again, I'll kind of put my hand up as if I'm going to stop them to let them understand that I'm aware that 
they're doing it. Right. And if it happens a third time, I'll be like, hey, hey, listen, if you don't mind. Yeah, don't point that at me. <laughs> don't point that shit at me, right? <laughs> Even though I know for a fact it's clear, it's just that's it's, what was been instilled in me. Right, yeah, absolutely. But aside from the the safety aspect of never point a weapon if you don't to shoot, I think it's more important in self-defense scenarios because especially when I teach, like I've taught like just women courses. Mm-hmm. And dude, it's so important. And I drill that into them. It's like, ladies, listen. Uh, you never want to pull your gun out on someone in hopes that that can deter the situation. Right. Now, if it works, great, dope, right. right? You get to go home. I get to go home. I'm not going to lose my gun. Everything is fine. I don't have to clean blood off my clothes. Like right. everything is cool, right? I get a cool story to tell and you can fuck right off. Right. But the thing is that you have to, like when I get a firm grasp, on the beaver tail on that pistol and that pistol comes out of its holster you're dead yeah my i've already made up in my mind right you are so freaking dead now when i pull that gun out if that changes your mindset tight tight right but you never want to pull the gun out on someone in hopes that that deters the situation right you, you- yeah, I agree with you. 100%. And I think I think if I pull my gun out on someone, and let's say let's say I've created distance, I've created distance. I pull my gun out on someone, and I'm like, "Hey, Jerry, stop! If you continue on this pursuit, I'm gonna shoot you." Mm-hmm. Now, if you continue, and you see me backing up, what does that show you? There's hesitation in your mind, and I'm not committed right. to my threat. Right, right. The Bible says, and I'll quote it: "Thou shalt not lie." Right. Right. If I tell you I'm going to shoot you in the face, if you keep progressing towards me and you keep progressing towards me and I don't, that's that's a lie. Liars, liars go to hell. Right. So but I think that's a that's the most common thing is that people think that being armed and having that gun offers you some sort of protection, which it doesn't. No. You know, having that firearm does not give you any more protection than someone without it unless you plan on using it. Absolutely. And I think that's the most important aspect of, you know, that that sort of talk that we had from going zero to ten. Mm-hmm. Is that when I grab that gun, that gun comes out that holster, dude, you are, you're done. You're finished. There's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can, there's nothing you can say to me that's going to make me change my mind about the decision that I've already made up in my head. The only thing that can change my mind is your actions. Right. And that's something that really often falls by the wayside, I think. Like mm-hmm. so many, like how many stories have you heard about, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, people being shot with their own firearm? Yeah. Law right. enforcement officers happens to them all the time. All the time, dude. Mm-hmm. All the time. They go to, you know, and I, and I look, look, I, my heart bleeds for these guys, but they, they, they reach for non-lethals because they don't want they don't want the scrutiny of being shot by someone. They reach for a taser. They reach for, you know, pepper gel or mace or cream, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They reach for the non-lethal in hopes that that deters the situation. And it doesn't. And oftentimes, like, you know, cops, they get bulldozed by these dudes that are hopped up on whatever sort of drug of the day is. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the assailant takes their firearm and causes harm. I mean, they don't always die, but, I mean, God forbid... They get killed with their own firearm. And that's yeah. something that really makes my heart ache because it's like, dude, if you'd have just stayed committed. Well, unfortunately, law enforcement these days, they're just at such a disadvantage because well, oh, absolutely, everybody man. hates the cops until you need the cops, right? And now 
everything they do is scrutinized. Well, why did you, you know, why didn't you shoot the gun out of his hand? You know, I've, I've literally had people say that, like, why didn't the cop just shoot the gun out of his hand? You realize that's like next to impossible. Yeah. You know, especially. Which actually statistically in, in concealed carry altercations, the chance of your hands getting shot are actually very high because when someone pulls out a gun on you, you don't like get tunnel vision and just stare at the gun. And all of a sudden your, your gun gets pointed at their gun, yeah. which is hilarious because hands and guns get shot pretty frequently, but to do it, that's doing it subconsciously. Yeah. Yeah. Not to sit there and say, okay, Keenan's got a gun. Yeah, if I'm going to draw my gun. If I I'm shoot the, the steel slide on that Glock, it'll right. fly out at a 42 degree right. angle. And and people and, believe that. People believe that, uh, that everything they see in the movies, that the cops can do this and they can do that. And it's not necessarily the case, right? When uh, you get involved in a shooting, you know, one, again, my, I have to react. I just can't walk up to people and just start shooting them, right? I wouldn't be a cop. I'd be in jail right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I have to act, react to your action. So obviously my action is going to be slower. Which honestly, in that line of work, that's already a disadvantage. Yeah. Because like in my line of work, I try to t teach people to be proactive. Right. Right. Understanding what's a threat, you know, before it actually happens. Right. Like, for example, you know, like take burglary, you know, armed, armed burglary, for example. Someone comes in my shop to rob me. You know, obviously gun stores are one of the most, you know, highly targeted businesses for burglaries, mm -hmm. especially like armed robbery, forcible felonies, things like that. I'm already at a massive disadvantage, even though I'm armed mm -hmm. and I'm extremely well trained. I'm at a massive disadvantage to you because I don't know that you're coming in to cause me harm. Right. And you can come in and be so freaking nice to me. You know, oh man, Keenan, this is a great shot. Bang. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I'm at such a disadvantage because I don't understand that that's coming. And and law enforcement is basically the same way. Yep. Because you're constantly at a reaction, reactionary response as opposed to a proactive response. And and these guys are not, they're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. Yeah. You know, so I don't envy these guys. People have asked me before, why don't you become a cop down in Texas? I said, no, I'm good. I, yeah, I, I did it. I did it. I got then the they're done that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a rough situation, uh, all with law enforcement and their ability to perform their duties. Uh, cause like I said, people think, well, you got this, you got that. Why didn't you just tase the guy? Well, he had a gun pointed at me. Yeah. No, yeah. we meet force with force. Right. You know, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't really, you know, really understand. And then also it, it has to go into, I think as far as like, Everyone in their reactionary response is understanding the totality of a circumstance that they put themselves in. And we've been dehumanized, I think, like not understanding the consequences of your actions mm -hmm. by, you know, getting in that fight or pulling the trigger on someone, you know, being so dehumanized and you're taking away the, the sort of like spiritual factor. Like I'm going to take someone's soul by pulling this trigger. And that's what a lot of people don't understand, man, is like, you know, like, obviously I think, I think as a whole, human beings are good people. Absolutely. But in everything, right. In every line of work, in every sort of subculture, you're going to have those people that don't align with your views. And that's where, unfortunately, we have to be prepared for those extreme levels of violence is in case wherever I'm at, whatever I'm doing, if I'm put in a shit situation, I need to be prepared that if your beliefs 
don't align with mine and you believe that whatever it is that you're doing is more important than my life, I have to be prepared to defend it. And I think that's the sort of level of the level of subconscious violence that's required by men in today's day and age. Yeah. You know, so um, with that, uh, I think, it, you know, we can start to kind of close out. That was a really good, you know, some really good closing remarks there. So um, I really appreciate, uh, really appreciate you coming out all the way from Fornia. The traffic <laughs> must have been abysmal. It wasn't too bad. Uh, I hope it bad. is on the way back because yeah. <laughs> every time I go to Forney to go to the gym, uh, uh, it, it's uh, it's always really fun. So, um, uh, how can how, if uh, anyone's listening, how can they reach you about uh, enrolling in Wolfpack? Yeah, so you can follow us on uh, Wolfpack MMA Forney on Facebook, uh, Wolfpack MMA on Instagram, and just uh, shoot us an email, shoot us a text, um, you know, give us a call. Um, I, you were talking about uh, when you became a business owner, answering calls at two o'clock in the morning and everything. All the time. Um, I won't answer your call at two o'clock in the morning, but I I'll will, call you back at nine. Yeah, I'll call you back about nine, ten o'clock in the morning. Right. But yeah. so, uh, what's the uh, what's the enrollment uh, and fees? Like, what sort of contracts? Uh, kind of explain that. So we do six month contracts. Um, we have a couple different payment options, but our basic payment option is we do like a zero down one eighty nine a month, where you can come and train as an adult eight times a week if you if you feel so inclined to do so what's the uh what's the schedule during the week for non-thursday classes because that's my resident class yeah so other than thursdays we have classes adult classes monday through thursday and then we have an adult class well actually not class but an open mat on saturday for adults um and you do gi and nogi gi and nogi yeah okay and then you can train uh like i said you can train brazilian jiu-jitsu you can train muay thai kickboxing and regular boxing Nice. And what about uh, kids? You, kids? You kids classes as well? Yes, we have we have um, four kids classes throughout the week. We have kids jujitsu on Monday and Thursday, uh, kids uh, kickboxing on uh, Muay Thai on Friday, and then we have a, a morning MMA class, nogi class on Saturday. Nice, cool, cool, and also uh, congratulations uh, on your uh, on your second strike. For black belt. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not gonna toot my own horn, but I'm basically John Wick now. I got my first stripe as a white belt. I'm very excited about that. So I'm on a bit of a delayed program, as you like to call yeah, it. Yeah, that's okay so, though. That's okay. So hey, man, you gotta. You like I said, you gotta deal with the cards you're dealt. That's you know right, I mean? brother. But I've I've thoroughly enjoyed the past eight months of uh, of training with you, man. I really enjoy it. So, uh, guys, if you're, uh, you know, if you're, you know, around the you know DFW area. Uh, feel free to check out uh, Wolfpack MMA. I train at the Forney location, but there's also one in Rockwall. There's and one in there's Rockwall. One and in one just, just, well, it just opened in Wiley. In Wiley. Okay. Yes. Okay, cool. So there's a, there's a few locations now for Wolfpack. You can train in all sorts of different, uh, in different uh, lines of combative sports and everything. It's super fun. I thoroughly enjoy it. I think um, the biggest reason why, and like when I originally talked to you about it was, you know, when I got out the Marine Corps, mm -hmm. I kind of longed for that sort of, uh, I wouldn't say competitive spirit, but more or less just like bond, you know, like brother, brother, yeah, camaraderie, that brother yeah, and I, I really miss that. And I, I really feel, I wouldn't say that, you know, going to jujitsu once a week, you know, uh, sort of filled that void in my life, but it definitely helped like a lot. Yeah, and it's a huge stress reliever. Yeah, know, absolutely. A huge stress but we got a good group of guys, man. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
there's a bunch of dudes in there. A lot of them are veterans and you yeah. know, it's a really cool uh, community to be a part of. And I'm very thankful for that. So guys, if you're really interested in, uh, in joining or anything, obviously you can hit up Jerry uh, at Wolfpack. Uh, if you have any questions or anything, feel free to hit us up and obviously we can forward you their contact information, but he already gave it to you. Uh, it's, it's a really good time, a really good time. And I think, uh, everyone would enjoy it. I, I plan on having Jerry on a few more times as well as, uh, uh, Roy, who's one of the other, uh, coaches there at Wolfpack. Uh, he just got promoted to black belt. Yes, he did. Um, so, uh, Roy's a really good dude. And, uh, so we'll, we'll most likely have him on it. And I think I can convince Rex as well. I don't know if Rex will want to talk much. <laughs> yeah. Rex is not a big talker. I think, I think maybe if I get another mic, I can get you and Rex in here. Yeah. And yeah. Just kind of like agree with some yeah. things, but yeah. now Rex is good people. Rex but, is a really great dude. But, uh, but yeah, I'll try and bring you guys on. So, uh, other than that guys, um, as far as us, we have, I have so much going on. I do apologize for my lack of, of, of some, some things going on, especially on like social media and stuff. We have so much going on both in my personal life as well as professional. We have, uh, we're looking at uh, we're looking at moving. Um, I, I, I found a really nice place in Rowlett that I really Closer like. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do that, <laughs> but but we'll see. We'll see. Maybe for the next location. Next location. So hint, hint. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at a place in Rowlett that I really like. Uh, I think it really fits what we need. It just it all depends on the landlord. That gun shop that was on the other side. Mm -hmm. He closed up. He moved. Oh, really? Yeah. That little tiny one. In the warehouse district there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where'd he move? I think he moved down the Helms Trail, hmm. which is not too far away, but it's down the road. It was tiny, though. It had that big warehouse. Well, he had that huge warehouse, and his shop was literally like the size of this bar area. Right, it was tiny. Yeah. It was tiny, tiny. Yeah, my buddy uh, my buddy who lives like that, Dave, who lives not too far from you, uh, said that or whatever but but anyway we digress i digress so uh so anyway guys as always we all always end uh my episodes of the podcast um talking about uh suicide prevention so one thing that's super near and dear to my heart is obviously uh suicide prevention guys if you have anything that is really bothering you and you really feel like your life is sort of better off ended i strongly recommend you i mean you can literally shoot me a text you know nine seven two eight three six oh five six five give me a call uh, at any time, you can message us on Instagram, Facebook. We just started a TikTok specifically for this podcast. It's a little just at Cheap Therapy Pod because Cheap Therapy Podcast was taken. And that person has like two freaking followers. So I'm like, God. I followed you on TikTok. I appreciate that. Yeah. The new one? Yes. Yeah, yeah oh, the new cool. one. For some reason, the old one, like, well, like my main one, mm -hmm. um, it wouldn't let me tag the Cheap Therapy Pod. Hmm. In that last one that I made on the podcast that I made last night, but but anyway, so uh, but yeah, you can check us out on uh, TikTok, Cheap Therapy Pod. We've also started a Facebook specifically for the podcast, uh, for this particular podcast, as well as we still have our you know lateral limits pages and everything like that. So, guys, if you have any uh, issues that are bothering you, feel free to hit us up at any one of those you know fifteen different social media platforms. I'll be more than happy to to chat with you or anything. Uh, but if you have any issues, feel free to call us the suicide prevention hotline. It's simply 988. It's a nice shortened number. It makes life so much easier. You can just simply call it. Uh, it's open 24 hours. You can talk to someone on the other end that can hopefully talk you off that ledge. So guys, as always, thank you so much for listening uh, to the Cheap Therapy Podcast. Because again, listening to me and Jerry talk about our life's problems 
and uh, confirming with that is always so much cheaper than seeking actual professional help. Right? We're not going <laughs> to charge you $250 an hour. You can just listen to us for free uh, on either Spotify or uh, Amazon Music. So uh, that's always been fun. But guys, anyways, thank you so much for listening. This is Keenan over at Lateral Limits. Uh, you can hit us up at any time, 972-836-0565. Shoot us an email, info at laterallimits.com. And as always, check out our website, laterallimits.com. Uh, and then if you guys have anything else, uh, feel free. If you have any ideas for episodes or anything like that or ideas for guests, I'll try and reach out to them or anything. I'm looking at bringing in a couple of hunting guides. Potentially, we'll start talking about the upcoming whitetail season as well as some different combative arts fellas. Among other things, I have plenty of ideas for the next few uh, few guys talking about a few different entrepreneurs as well. So guys, as always, thank you so much for listening to uh, this is now episode five of Chief Therapy Podcast. Jerry, thank you so much for for logging on with us. This has been super fun and we're definitely going to have to do this a few more times. No, I had a blast, man. Thank you for having me. As always, man. It's always a pleasure. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to Chief Therapy Podcast. And as always, stay groovy.